This is a quick disclaimer. Although the wise investor is trying to educate people on personal finance, what we talk about on the show is not actually financial advice for your personal and unique situation. Before trying to do anything with your money, always consult a professional. Hey, this is Anthony. And I'm Sal. And you're listening to the Wise Investor Podcast, where we help Canadians become more financially literate one post at a time. This is what they did not teach you in school. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of What They Did Not Teach You in School. Today we got the usual Sal Longo and yours truly, and we have two guests from the Millennials Choice team, Danny and Matt, and we're very blessed to have them on today because they're going to be giving us a little bit of insight on how to invest in real estate, things that you should be looking for if you're a millennial trying to buy your first property, or if you're trying to buy that second investment property, we're going to go through that today. So... Before we dive into it, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Danny, Matt, uh, Danny, Matt, I'm going to get this one. Matt, Danny. Matt, <laughs> Matt Danny. Um, and tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in the business, what do you do? Sure. We'll start with you, Matt. Go ahead. Yeah, so my name is Matthew Ablican. I'm the owner of Millennials Choice, and I got into this business when I was 19. So I bought my first condo when I was 19, and I was learning about investing into real estate and learning about investing into stocks as well, but real estate is the direction that I wanted to take it. As soon as I purchased my first condo, it was a pre-construction condo, I learned about what it takes to not only meet the demand of the builder, but also get the financing that you need. So that's when I decided, you know what, I actually want to get into the career of being a real estate salesperson. So I was in university at the time, I was majoring in law, and I was doing that concurrently with Teachers College, and I got my real estate license. Mm. So I joined the company we were with, and it's been over six years now. We brought the mortgage division on board as well, and just recently, a couple of years ago, we launched Millennials Choice. And I see. Yeah. How did you going to become a teacher kind of like sway you, or did it have an impact? <laughs> were you like, I don't want to be a teacher, then you became a realtor, or was it like, I like being a teacher, and that's why you became right. a realtor? It goes hand in hand with exactly what you said to start off the podcast, which is what they don't teach you Mm -hmm. in school. And it was actually while I was in the schools as a student teacher, I don't know if you remember them when we were in high school, where I was like, this is not where I want to be. The -hmm. school system's broken. Education is important, but the school system's broken. And it was at that point I said, I'll finish my degree because I'm already halfway there, more than halfway there actually. And I'm not actually going to get into the career of teaching. So... The record shows I've never applied to a school board or anything like that. Like that's how much I believe in what I'm saying. So for the record, yeah, for the record, for the record. All right, and Danny, how about you? Yeah, You're so, his brother. Yes, I'm Matthew's brother. Um, I'm a mortgage broker here at Millennials Choice. I also have my real estate license, but I don't practice the real estate. Mm-hmm. I focus solely on the mortgages. Okay. So how did I get started with Millennials Choice? Um, long story short, it goes back to my York days, and I'm sure a lot of us can. Uh, also recall those days where we might not be too sure of what you want to do after school. So I was, I was in the same boat as a lot of people nowadays. Uh, I was in my last year. I was graduating uh, with a BA in business. So I knew I wanted to do something in business, but not too sure what I wanted to do. And it was at that point I was graduating, going to have all the student debt, and I'm like, okay, 
this is going to get serious right now. I'm not going to be in school. I need to do something with my life. Sure. At that point, I saw what Matthew was doing with the real estate and the mortgages. And I like to tell the story all the time to clients, everyone. I say, at that point, we weren't as close as we are today. I'll okay. be honest. And so I feel you. I got two brothers. Yeah, right? It's kind of like you kind of drift as you go in through your teenage years. You come back together as you mature. Especially yeah. in those university days, right? Like I wouldn't, wouldn't see him as much as I see him like, like now every mm-hmm. day, right? Mm-hmm. So I went up to him like, Matt, just be honest with me. I've heard so many bad things about like mortgages and what like mortgage brokers do and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to do anything like that. So um, like, what do you say? Like, how, how, is, how is it with you? He's like to me, I'll never forget. He's like, just come work with me. And if you don't like it, you can leave at any time. I'm like, hey, like that's actually not a bad like proposition. Yeah, what's the I worst thing to, could happen? Yeah, I have nothing to lose right now. I literally, there's nothing that, that can happen that's worse, right, than not trying. Exactly. So ever since then, I got my mortgage license. I started working with them. I love it, mm-hmm. right? As many people might think, oh, they're brothers, you know, the, how do they work together? I love it. We have fun with each other. You know, we have fun. We're at the office, but we also get work done. Mm-hmm. So I've never looked back ever since. Just been focusing on the mortgages got my real estate license just to have on the side, right? To also be educated in that sense as well. I don't want to just know one thing. I kind of want to have a good idea of how the real estate works. Kind of goes hand in hand to mortgages and real estate. Of course, definitely. So now when I'm speaking to realtors, I can actually, uh, I'm coming from a place of I understand Mm -hmm. what you're going through because I've been through those. I've done real estate deals as well. Mm -hmm. So I kind of bring that to the table as well. How long you been doing it now since that day that he told you to come, you got nothing to lose? (laughs) Yeah, it's been over three years. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. over three years and uh, and going, yeah. So Is it it true that the first year is the hardest? Yeah, honestly, it was a a big jump. I can't even say how big of a jump it was because... I was thrown from this society of you know going to school, coming back home, working, all doing all that stuff, to real life. Mm. That's what I like to call it. Like they, I got thrown to real life, which <laughs> I'm so grateful for. Um, so and I feel like you know schools need to also do a better job at getting you ready for that. I feel like they don't, they don't do that. You know, even in high school, even going to sec post secondary, they don't do that. So that's kind of the reason why we started this podcast because a lot of the things that we've seen, I've been in banking for the last like. I was in banking for four years during my undergrad. I actually went to York as well. I studied okay. kinesiology there. Nice. And then um, I, when I graduated, uh, Sal and I started our practice helping people with their finances, wealth management, that kind of thing. But the reason why we started the podcast was because what I realized is nobody knew anything about money and how to manage right. their money, how to invest their money, how taxes worked. And that's kind of why we started this podcast. But we've also broadened our horizons as well into like traveling and personalities how to how to you know tell the difference of personalities and stuff like that reading books so we kind of are around the things that they did not teach you in school and I'm sure we could talk about this for a long time but uh, we'll move on a little bit here so uh, you guys both work Millennials Choice it's called Millennials Choice so I'm guessing you work primarily with Millennials or what is your kind of niche or target market that you guys work with specifically right so when I first got into the business, I was 19, yeah. and basically any kind of business that came my way, I would take it. You're starting out. And True. Okay. a lot of my clients were not millennials at the time, because everybody that was my age was, again, 19, 20 years old. They're not in any position to really maybe buy a place, sure. or they're not even thinking about it just yet. So I had a lot of older clients, and that was fine. That's amazing. We, I gained a lot of experience working with them. And then as I became a broker, I started thinking, I said, how do I make this bigger than myself? Because I noticed while I was looking in the real estate industry, 
you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't really admiring anyone. I didn't look up to anybody. I, I look up to people like Ryan Serhant in New York and, and things like that, but those kinds of people. But in our area, it was more like you as a broker and the team was named after yourself. So it's all about you, the spotlight's on you. For sure. I didn't like that, I wasn't about that. So I said, how do I build a business? I wanna build an actual business where if I go on vacation for a week or two weeks, it still runs, right, without me there. And I think a lot of realtors miss that. Yeah, sure. So I started working backwards, learning from people like Tony Robbins, Darren Hardy, how to build a business. And the idea was, well, what's your target? Who, you're tar who are you tar targeting and what are you offering them? Mm -hmm. And I said, the best way for me to pick that target is gonna be somehow my age group. I'm gonna focus on them because I can better relate to them. Yeah. And that's when I came up with Millennials Choice. I have two questions for that. Yeah. One is I agree with you uh, a lot of the difference between like a sole proprietor or a freelancer and right. a entrepreneur or business owner is the fact that you are not the center of the business. Like the business can operate without you being there, right? right. Yeah. That also raises valuations for when you want to sell businesses too, but that's a whole other thing. But aren't all the isn't all the money in the older people? Wouldn't right. it be difficult, more difficult to target millennials? Like, what made you want to do that? It's definitely a uphill battle, <laughs> and most of the feedback we get is people love it from all generations, from all demographics. But there are there's always those one or two people that'll say, you know, why would you pick millennials? You're kind of shutting yourself down from the other the other people that are in the marketplace. And I find that it's actually the complete opposite. Because although the wealth is, let's say, the parents or the grandparents, there's this, we're seeing for, most, for the most part, this transition of wealth, hmm. you know, down, this, down, the, Very down the age group, right? And now the millennials that are getting in, most millennials, I find, are still a little old school where when they're buying a property, even if it's their first, they're involving the parents. A lot of the time, yeah, right? I've seen that, yeah. So what ends up happening is the parents, they've, I mean, I'm not sure if I can say it, but they've seen so much bullshit throughout the years. Sure. When they sit down with us, they're like, okay, these guys, they know what they're doing. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the parents start to bring their business to us as well. Slowly, actually a genius marketing tactic then. Exactly. <laughs> one so, thing, yeah, one thing I really like from what you guys and what you guys are telling us is how you kind of saw the opportunity to do something bigger than yourself, right? And that's partly, you know, in business, especially with the financial industry or real estate industry, a lot of people go, oh, you know, you guys are dealing with money. All you really care about is money, right? right? Like that's the big stigma in finance, in real estate, right? You want to do big deals and you don't care about me. And it's really good that you guys share our vision of like actually adding value. You know, you have your target, you want to give them the best service you can, and you're not just there for the sale. And, you know, in my or our opinion, a lot of the time that's what creates long lasting relationships and makes business better in the yeah. long term, right? Than just being short-sighted and going after the first money sign that you see. So yes. it's great. We share that vision with you guys. It's, it's, it's because so many millennials grew up in the age of 2001, stock, uh, like the stock bubble that happened there, and then the real estate and stock bubble that happened in 2008. And to your thing about mortgage brokers, you know, they got a bad rep. Yeah. And finance guys in general got a bad rep. <laughs> They've always got a bad rep. <laughs> yeah. So, so now it's kind of like, well, there's been a lot of regulations now that kind of have deterred all those bad apples from even being in the industry anymore because right. of compliance and like the change of fees and stuff like that, transparency. Um, but 
if you want to last in any business for the long term, that's the kind of mindset that you got to have. So I love absolutely. That. And yeah. to just build on that point really quickly, yeah, we treat all of our clients the same way in terms of customer service. Whether it's a small deal where we get paid a few hundred bucks mm -hmm. to those big deals, it's the same customer service because. I'll be honest, I wouldn't be able to go to sleep at night knowing like I didn't do my best, knowing mm -hmm. that, yeah, we're, we're gonna get paid this much amount. Yeah, that doesn't change, that mm -hmm. never changes for us. That's awesome, yeah. Okay. What are the biggest differences differences that you see between working with an older generation and millennials? If you had to say like one thing, like one major difference that you see. I wanna start this one? Yeah, I'll definitely start <laughs> this one off. Um, with millennials, they're more open-minded to you know learning Whereas they haven't learned anything yet, right? In the sense of the real world, mm -hmm. just because they, they might be coming out of school right now, you know, they haven't purchased their own home yet ever. And things are changing now in today's market where the older people, the older generation, unfortunately, they're so used to this old system, especially when it comes to the financing side of things, the lending. They're <laughs> yeah. so used to this old system of it's so easy to get a mortgage. I can mm. just go anytime and get a, go get a home equity line of credit very easy, very fast. But what they don't know is a lot of things have been changing in these past 10 years. Mm -hmm. And the rules have only been stricter and have made it more difficult to uh, obtain mortgage financing. So when we're going through that with them, it's like, oh, that's not how it used to be. And we asked them, they're like, we're like, when? When like, when did it change? They're like, oh, like 10 years ago, I went and I got my home equity line of credit. We're like, 10 years is a long time, you know? <laughs> so I was trying to get that message across is, is that fun part. You know? I heard, I have a, you know, a bit of a banking background being in TD as well. So like I've done some mortgages and stuff, but you know, um, I always heard like stories that people used to just go into the bank and tell the bank manager yeah. what their income is. Right. And I'm like, what? what do I you heard mean? those ones too. And they're like, yeah, people would come in and say, how much do you make? And they would take someone just word, I made 200,000 this year and they give them the loan, yeah, right? right? So a lot has changed in terms of proof of income and for all of our viewers here, that's a good thing for society that rules have become stricter so that the market's more stable, right? Very true. Did you hear the one where they used to give them 100% of what the home was worth? No, I didn't know I, that. I either. heard they used to do that. Okay. Now, you know, you'll never see that wow. again. So yeah. a lot of things changing, for you know, sure. and you gotta be up to date. I used to work at Pine Valley and Highway 7 in the heart the of Woodbridge and all the, the nunnies, the Italian <laughs> grandparents would come yeah. in and they, and they would be back in the old system, you know, like yeah. back in the day when you used to apply for a mortgage, you would go to the banker and be like, yeah, don't you know me, me and your son play <laughs> hockey together and like I own that company around the corner and like I, I do banking with you for the last 10 years. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you a mortgage. Right. Nothing to do with ratios, How? <laughs> yeah. what's, the, what's the debt servicing, no. how much income do you have, what's your credit score. It was no. all just by like reputation, you know? Yeah, that's what it was. It was more based, right? Like yeah. I heard grand, my grandfather telling stories too. Like if the branch manager trusted that you'd pay, he'd give you a bigger loan. Well. So. Lots changed. That'd okay. Be nice. <laughs> How about you? What's the biggest difference you see working with different generations? Right. So because I wear the real estate hat for the most part, uh, I still see people coming in like younger people, millennials, saying, you know, uh, I'm not really into the condos because of the maintenance fees. Hmm. And I say, well, what makes you say that? Why do you have a problem with maintenance fees, right? And they'll say, you know, well, my parents have said that they go up all the time. And I'm thinking, condos What's your are answer fairly. To that? Well, condos are a fairly new phenomenon. So I tell them, I say. Uh, your parents are correct in that maintenance fees gradually go up with time. However, there's a reason for that. And if you don't purchase a condo and you purchase, let's say, a detached home, you know, buying a lawnmower and you know, buying salt for the driveway, all these things actually 
perform part of your maintenance mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. home. So you still have maintenance, True. but it's just the way it's carried out. Do you have a management company that's doing it for you and on a grand, uh, grand scale, or are you doing it? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have an answer for, for that in that sense, but it's kind of like break the numbers down. And what can you actually afford, right? That's very true. Because even when I do financial, like, because uh, I'll build financial plans for my clients, projecting forward, taking all of this into account on a holistic basis. And whenever we say, all right, you're buying a property, we usually tack on a one to two percent management fee, which is for the house, which people, you know, they wouldn't think of it that way, but it is. You know, if something goes down, you got to replace it. The furnace breaks. Uh, redo the shingles, all these little things exactly. that you're saying um, actually do add up. And yeah. the bigger the property, the more the management fee or maintenance fee actually does account. Exactly. Does That's it true. actually work out to the same as what you would pay on maintenance on a condo though? Depends. Depends on the size of the condo yeah, and then what you'd want to buy uh, in terms of the home, hmm. right? Because the, the smaller the condo, the lower the maintenance fee usually is because it's based on the square footage. Got it. As well as the number of units in the building. Right? Okay. So. Cool. All right, um, so what what would you say, because you've been working in the business now for a little while, what do you think uh, some of the trends are for millennials purchasing their first house or their first uh, investment property? Where are they going? Are they buying more condos than detached homes? Um, that kind of thing. What are, are they finding you in different ways using technology or something like that? So give me a little idea on what you're seeing trend-wise with millennials. So definitely we have a lot of people registering on our website for different projects that we have that are pre-construction condo projects. We do see a trend for for the pre-construction side of things. More and more people are buying pre-construction condos. Um, And now as of last year, we see more and more millennials renting um, because the whole idea was home ownership is so far out of reach for me that I'm gonna rent and save up more money for a down payment. We all know that that doesn't work. If you guys are listening, that does not work. Why? I'll give you an example. I have a client of mine who passed up an opportunity on a condo project where he would have been making about 100K in in one year's time just because of appreciation. They didn't do it, said that he wanted to buy a home in Bradford. That person, now the mortgage rules changed. Now that person's buying power decreased. Mm -hmm. And the amount of money he needs to save just to catch up to that purchase price, he won't attain that for another five to 10 years because it's that significant in terms of the amount. So what would have you recommended? That he got into the condo, and now one year later, two years later, if you want to buy the actual home in Bradford, sell that condo or rent it out, and there you go, you have more money. Yeah. Hmm. Done, so, easy deal. So I think what we'd like to tell viewers too is like it's sometimes you want to just, you can't time the market, it's just about being in the market. Exactly. And if you can afford a condo first, it's better to buy it first because you're going to get some appreciation rather than let's wait five years because I'm going to save. But if you're saving a hundred grand and that house in Bradford went up a hundred grand or 200 grand, you're still behind, right? So that's a great point. Yeah. It's that constant catch up that you have to do. Cause the thing with real estate that we say all the time is that let's say you're investing in a stock portfolio, you have a hundred K invest in a stock portfolio at 6%. You make $6,000 on that hundred thousand. If you take that hundred thousand, you could buy a, $500,000 property, give or take, right? Yes. Even if that property goes up, let's say they're not going up as crazy as they used to go. Right. Even if it were to go up 3 or 4%, but probably would go up more. Let's say 3 or 4%. At 3% on 500000 that's $15,000, right? So that, that difference, because of the leverage of, of a property, makes a massive difference. Definitely. So if you waited that year 
you know, let's say, oh, I'm not, I'm going to wait till next year or whatever the case is. You lost out on, you know, $9,000 of potential income that you could have gotten. Not to mention if you rented it out and all that stuff. You got too. it. So it is about being in the market so that you're in it and then, you know, going from there kind of a thing. And to just build yeah. on that point really quickly, like you're saying, if uh, a lot of our clients, they buy pre-construction condos, right? Mm -hmm. But the condos don't get built. It takes three to four years for it to get ready, right? So they don't even need to get a mortgage to get in right all they need is that deposit with the builder so then they have four years of appreciation right mm -hmm. and they, they don't need a mortgage within that time so, so true okay yeah, we've yeah. been we've brought up pre-construction condos a couple times now yeah, to i gotta ask about yes. it all right because the last person that we had on the show was lisa yeah. was, uh, she's in the bond area realtor does pretty funny videos on instagram shout out to lisa in the city yeah you know her <laughs> you know her okay, i follow her on instagram okay, yeah. sweet, sweet. So shout out lisa in the city she's great <laughs> She was saying how pre-construction condos are actually not as lucrative because of the final builder's costs that get tacked on to some of these condos at the end. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about the pros and cons of uh, pre-construction condos and what people need to look for when choosing to do that. Right, so depending on what route you wanna take as a buyer, are you an end user or, or an investor, we'll recommend certain products. So with specific regards to pre-construction, from an investor standpoint, it's all speculative. If somebody tells you you buy this pre-construction condo and it's gonna appreciate by 200 grand and you'll be cash flow positive, run. Like you're not, don't trust that realtor. So there's- Why, why? Because it's all speculative. You don't know what's gonna happen in the market and quite frankly, you don't even know if the developer is gonna actually build this building. <laughs> there are outs. And every when, developer. right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Every developer has outs in their contracts because of the system that surrounds that. Uh, which we probably shouldn't get into right now, but with regards to the pros, let's say there is an economic downturn, and the only way to battle that or beat that is with time, mm -hmm. right? We know with time things will pick up. Right. Now, if you buy something today, and you know what, next year things just go really bad, well, if you bought something today that's set to be ready and built in four years, well, now you have another three years of really, you're not doing anything, you're mm -hmm. not putting any more money into it mm -hmm. to wait for the market to pick back up. So we have seen a lot of people actually make a lot of money in pre-construction. And that's actually, the proof of that is not even me saying it, it's, it's what's been happening. CRA is now cracking hard on uh, assignment sales, which is simply you buy a pre-construction condo and you sell it before it's actually built. You don't even get the keys to it, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes you get the keys and you sell it either way, but- How are they cracking, cracking down? down? Well, now they're auditing the builders because the builder has to sign off on any assignment sale. Mm -hmm. So usually builders are, are signing off on it, collecting a fee, not, nobody's reporting it. So now they're really? cutting on builders. Yeah, it's, it's huge. So, and that wouldn't be a big deal if there wasn't so much money that was being made, right? CRA, so people are avoiding the capital gains on you that? You got it, they're trying to get away with it. Interesting. Yeah. Now there are some scenarios where if you do the math and you actually cap those builder charges mm -hmm. that were mentioned, and you cap them, they become a very small percentage of your closing cost. And with any property, you will have closing costs, but those builder charges, if you can cap them, it's How usually- How do you cap them? You have to either have a prudent lawyer working with you, which we always recommend with any kind of deal, and as well as for, for us personally, and I don't think enough realtors do this, uh, you have to, as a realtor, when you're representing your client, request that cap. Yeah. Hmm. And if you request okay. it and, and you're diligent about it, you will get it. We, we never do a deal, we don't condone a deal, uh, doing a deal when, when there are no caps, because it could be a, a ridiculous amount. And we've seen that, 
in yeah, real life. I've seen it. I've seen it yeah. from my own clients as well that they're scram scrambling to come up with money at the, right. at, on closing because of these like what are they called? They're called development charges. Development right? charges. Yeah. So development builder charges. levies, development charges, and basically what that is is you're buying paper. When the builder goes to the city to obtain the, the permits, then the city will pass on a, a development charge mm -hmm. to the builder. And in the contract, it states that that builder has a right to pass that cost down to you as a buyer. So it could get very expensive. It could, it could be in the thousands, like 30,000, 40,000, whatever it may be. So you have to get that number capped. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like the pros of buying this pre-construction condo, if you don't have a time horizon, like if you're not like, you know, I need to move in in two years or whatever the case is, right. it could work out for you for because, sure. because you have time on your side and you're not paying interest on that mortgage either. Right. But if you want to move into something right away, like I purchased a pre-construction condo in Liberty Village, it was supposed to be done two years ago and we're still waiting on it. You right. know? Yeah. So uh, I don't care though, but if I was like newly newly married or whatever the case is, trying to move into a place, that could right. really screw, screw up plans. Yeah, and we've had people that come up to us and said like, oh, we bought our condo and we're still in the occupancy, you know, it's been over a year, and it could happen. That's that's all part of the risk, mm -hmm. right, of investing into pre-construction. So um, yeah, it could definitely happen, but again, there's so much benefits that come with it as well. You don't need a mortgage until Huge. you're closing. That's, that's a big deal, right, especially yeah. today where we find a lot of millennials just graduating from school. Um, they don't have a lot of employment history, right? They need to build that up in order to get that financing. Mm -hmm. So that might be somebody's route. It just depends on that person's specific circumstance, like you said. Question for you, Danny, because yeah. uh, you're on the mortgage side of things. Shoot. Uh, give me like one or two or maybe three tips that you would give to me if I was applying for a mortgage or shopping for a real estate property in order to increase the amount that I could get on my mortgage. Great question. So first thing I would tell you is go to a mortgage broker. And why do I say that? I don't, I don't have anything against the, going into the bank directly. We work with the banks, right? Mm -hmm. So a mortgage broker is somebody that they don't give you the mortgage. They actually just bring you to a bank that they have a connection with and they get the mortgage from them. So the difference is a mortgage broker works with many different banks yeah. and many different banks have many different products. So there's certain banks that we work with that specialize in giving people bigger loans because they're more flexible in regards to how much debt the client can have and those kinds of things, the way they calculate their income. Hmm. So there is a lot of different options out there for people, they just don't know about it. And when you walk into a bank like TD Bank or Scotiabank, we work with those banks. We love those banks. We have a lot of our files with them right now. But for certain people, it might not work out best for them because they're able to get more money at another place that you know, we work with, these are these are banks, I'm not talking private money, I'm talking yep, yep. other banks that just specialize for certain individuals that can get them more money. We say this all the time too, because yeah. it's kind of, I don't understand why anyone would go to the bank for a mortgage, right. because you, honestly, <laughs> well, What makes you say that? Well, because you go to the bank, I used to work at the bank too, but like you go to the bank and a mortgage broker there can only offer you TD uh, mortgages. Exactly. I don't like I don't I can't see why that would be a good thing you know same with same on my end too because I invest people's money I have a wide range of investment products that people can use because I'm kind of like a broker too exactly uh, but it's not called a broker but kind of like the equivalent of where if you were to go to a bank to do your investing they could only most times unless you work with a broker at the bank only invest in their products it kind of just limits your possibilities. Yeah, it's like, why would you limit yourself, right? When you can go to somebody that is a professional, that is commission-based, mm -hmm. right? So they don't make any money. 
unless they make your deal go through, right? So they have your best interest at heart, mm-hmm. right? They're Helping working you. hard to make right. sure it goes through. They're, they're <laughs> doing everything they yeah. can to make sure it goes through, right? Or else the, they're not going to get paid. They're yeah. commission-based. Exactly. So yeah. even on the mortgage side, like just to answer your question and, and something I can add is be prepared to have a co-signer ready. Have a parent or somebody that can co-sign mm-hmm. for you just to increase the mortgage amount. Um, also, the, the larger the down payment, the more uh, options will be available to you. So does anyone do under twenty percent anymore in today's like? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen people do it. Yeah. yeah, it's not as common with us, but we still see it. Definitely, they take advantage of that. Um, okay. For some reason, they don't have the down payment ready because they're still uh, working the, those savings, and they actually qualify for it. That's that's one thing people don't know. You can actually qualify to only put five percent down, and you don't have to be a first-time home buyer. You but you need the income to 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 prove to justify, that. To, to yeah, justify yeah. exactly. Yeah. It needs to make sense uh, in the lender's eyes. Definitely. Okay. And another have thing. a co-signer ready. That's a really good one. Perfect. Sure. Yeah. Especially for millennials. Yeah. Have have your credit um, ready. So make sure you check your Equifax before. So what we tell people all the time is go and pull the credit on your own. That way you can have an idea of what your debts are. You know, an updated list of what your debts are. Uh, see where your credit score is. You know. Have a, see if you missed any payments because I know yeah. that's happened uh, to some people sometimes where you know they've closed an account with Rogers, let's say, yeah, and you know this. they've yeah. they've gotten uh, that one dollar balance on the account. Happened like to five me. Years. Happened to <laughs> me. It happened to him. Yeah. Really? Well, Two dollar paper chart, paper fee. When I closed my account, I paid like three hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah. And they mailed me a, a statement saying that you you've paid off your account. Sure. They charged me two dollars for that statement. Never knew about it. The first time I went to get my mortgage. Uh, that showed up. The lender didn't care because I, I had never missed a payment anywhere else. Sure. So there is that understanding, that common sense. Yeah. But it was on my record for a while. I didn't know about it because mm-hmm. I never checked. I just never checked. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So, so for business owners, because a lot of our following, they own their own business. And we've been talking about how it, now it's a lot more difficult to get a mortgage. Right. What are some things that business owners should do bef- to prepare, let's say, before they purchase their house or condo? Great question. So we work with a lot of business owners as some of the banks that we work with specialize in helping business owners specifically in obtaining mortgage financing. Whether they have great credit, bruised credit, these guys help them get the financing that they need. So what I would say to business owners out there, make sure you have everything you know in writing, on paper, have invoices, make sure you're depositing uh, that cash right into a bank account. You're sh- when you're doing that, you're showing the actual lender that you're applying the mortgage uh, for that this is the income that I'm making and what we're able to do is we're able to use that income from those deposits so not your traditional notice of assessment qualification mm-hmm. that's what these guys specialize in though that's what they love to see they love business owners they, they want business owner uh, borrowers to come to them because that's that's their niche that's, that's their niche and we have access to those banks yeah for all our some of our viewers here that might be surprised when they go get a mortgage so as a business owner you know everyone likes to take advantage of the cra and mm-hmm. taxation and reducing <laughs> yeah. the amount of taxes um but you know what ends up happening is you're claiming to the government you know i made you know thirty thousand as opposed to eighty thousand or whatnot of net income but when you go to get a mortgage typically in a bank you know, they'll look at, okay, you made 30000 and you're pleading your case as the business owner saying, no, I made more, I just wrote stuff off because I can. But, you know, most branches, they'll basically say, uh-uh, you made thirty k, we can't really gross it up. And that's the benefit of using a mortgage broker who 
you know, can look beyond the numbers and beyond the tax savings to say, okay, how much are these guys really making and exactly. get you more of a mortgage amount? Okay. Uh, a couple more questions before we wrap up. So in the last two years, let's say, interest rates have been going up. Right. Macroeconomics 101, interest <laughs> rates go up. Usually uh, debt products such as uh, real estate has an inverse effect, so it usually goes down. We've seen that happen over the last year with real estate prices. Mm -hmm. Not as much bullets. Not as much bullets. <laughs> yeah. So in your opinion, this is purely opinion, we know you can't, spe no speculation, <laughs> all that. The United States Fed just increased interest rates. Canada chose to keep interest rates the same. Mm -hmm. How do you see real estate going for the next year in the short term? Right. I'll start with that one. Go for it, Salim. I think condos are going to still continue to rise. And when I say condos, I'm talking about resale condos, so stuff that's already been built. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that, it's, it's pretty simple. The, there aren't a lot of listings on the market. Very simple. So the demand is still there. Okay. So I think they'll still continue to rise. Pre-construction sales have actually slowed down now. So we do see now... Is that because there's not a lot of pre-construction development happening? Or is it because people are just not buying it? I think there, there aren't enough pre-construction developments happening outside of the downtown core. Mm. And what that's resulting in is just everyone's waiting. Yeah. So we, we see like certain projects downtown that are actually at 1200 bucks a square foot, which is extremely high, 12 and 1300 bucks. They're selling maybe 50% of the building now, mm. right? So, so I think there's a lot of uh, growth that's gonna happen this year. I think 2019 is gonna shock a lot of people because there are a lot of projects that are set to be released. Okay. Um, in terms of the housing, I do think that the pre-construction housing, which is pretty much at a standstill, will continue to remain so until builders will make an adjustment on their pricing or on their packages and incentives, which is very hard to do from the builder standpoint. I do think that the resale market for the more affordable products will continue to pick up because this will be a, a seen as an opportunity where I can skip the condo game and go into a townhouse, mm. right? I can, I can start off a little bigger and, and stretch my means. Where, where are millennials going for that, like uh, location-wise? Where do you see, because I know a lot of my clients there, you know, they're getting married, they're looking to go to Burlington, right. Bradford, what are some other places in between Burlington? Barry, I hear, is pretty expensive, but not, none yeah. sales, nonetheless as well, but yeah. where, do you, where do you see people going? Like yeah. what pockets of, the, of this area, not even the GTA anymore, but outside of it? Right, uh, uh, Pickering and Ajax has, has boomed recently as huh. well. Interesting. And so headed out east is, is, pretty, is pretty popular nowadays. And then west, like you said, to Burlington. Um, Hamilton, not so much. We haven't been seeing people going to Hamilton, at least for us, and Bradford. Bradford. I've been seeing a lot of people going to Bradford. Mm. That's we've where, been, we've been that's, where, uh, that's where Sal recently uh, yeah. going to be. That's my hood. That's <laughs> <his hood. laughs> be careful out there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How about for you? Because now on the real estate side, sure. But let's talk a little bit more about interest rates and how it's becoming more difficult for people to get mortgages. How do you see that playing out, especially for people wanting to buy places in the next year or so? Yeah. So people are definitely going to have to, you know, go through certain routes of getting a co-signer to get a mortgage. I think condo sales, like Matthew was saying, are still gonna be going up steadily, mm -hmm. um, just because people want a place to live. They want a place to call home, right? They don't wanna necessarily rent all the time, but at the same time, they wanna own something. So, when it comes to the interest rates, yeah, the rule changes in uh, 2018, the beginning of 2018 were a big change. 
they're looking at amending those, you know, possibly doing something where it's going to make it a little bit easier on uh, borrowers. Okay. But we're going to see what happens in 2019. I heard about that, actually. Yeah, they, the they've stress been, test. <laughs> the, the stress test, you know, they, they're trying to look at different options, right? Yeah. Because um, they came out hard. They came out full blitz on that. So we're going to see what happens. Um, funny enough, actually, we got an email from one of our lenders that they just decreased the, the rates on the five-year fixed, which I was really interested to see. I was very Ooh, happy to see that. Interesting. So it kind of, you don't know. You know. We don't know, right? We don't know what's going to happen. That. Um, that was what I saw, and I told Matt right away. I'm like, wow, like, that's actually, that's a little little glimmer of hope maybe I want to say. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why a decrease on the five-year fix actually uh, is, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? first beforehand, you know, everyone and their mother this year that I've been talking to <laughs> has been saying interest rates are going up, and they have. Right. The question is how much and for how long. And that's something that no one really knows, whether you're Warren Buffett or, you know, you're an average Joe, you know, whatever. So the, the moral of the story is we can't time and try to predict everything that's going to happen. We saw Bank of Canada hold rates. Yeah. The five year fix actually went down a bit. Right. Because now the banks are probably saying maybe it's not going to increase as much as we previously expected. Yeah. Right? So they have a better indication than anyone, in my opinion. Um, another great thing that you said is the stress test that was implemented in 2018, you know, that was to kind of comfort any sort of interest rate hikes in the future because they want to say, if interest rates were to hike, would these buyers or borrowers be able to afford it? Now that interest rates are a bit higher, they might not to be they might not need to be so stringent on those those rules right so Definitely. for all of you guys looking to buy you should be shopping there is a supply issue you're not going to get a steal of a deal i work with clients all the time right. now you probably do too that yeah. everyone wants like 10 20 percent off the home you know exactly. they see it on the market I kind of like it, not really, you know, can we get 10% discount on it? Probably not. Right. Not but in today's. Not in today's world. So <laughs> if you like a home, there's a good opportunity. You should buy, you know, shop around, interview a good mortgage broker, do your homework, you know, and take the necessary steps. We're all here to help you guys out. Sweet. Exactly. Um, I just want to get one, uh, one piece of content that's kind of like a little bit more structured. Can you explain by looking into the camera yes. what this stress test is? in your opinion for people to know sure thing so the stress test pretty much is if you qualify and get a contract rate on your mortgage at let's say 3.99 percent from let's say td bank right when i'm going into my system to qualify you i can't just put 3.99 i actually by law have to put 5.99 so that's two percent above what you actually are getting on the mortgage so like we were saying before the reason for that is the government wants to make sure if rates go up, you're able to afford it in the future. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right, before I ask the last question, just uh, where can people find you online? Plug yourself right now. Plug your Instagram. Where can people find you online? All right, so Shout for Millennials out. Choice, you can follow Millennials Choice, our main page on Instagram, on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And then myself personally, Matthew Applican. There's more personal photos. Uh, on those pages, but <laughs> you could definitely connect with me on there. Yeah, and Danny Applican on Instagram, Facebook, same thing. Check out Millennials Choice page. Always putting out new content for everybody to see. Uh, check us out on our website at millennialschoice.com. Really cool stuff there. Perfect. Yeah. Thank funny, you very much. Funny, Matt, because you know, being in real estate, it's like 
on your personal. You want to plug some real estate, but like you still have a family and some friends too. So it's like you want a nice, healthy balance. That's good. That's Definitely. how I do it too. All right, so cool. I asked this question at the end to all of our guests because we talk about it very often. And, and you know when you're going through life and you ask someone what they some someone what they do and they tell you and you go, I never even knew that was a job, <laughs> right? you know, uh, because because so many things in this world we just take advantage of, like flicking the switch on this light. We don't think about how actually someone wired it in in order to make this, you know. But right. if I asked an electrician, it would probably be a pretty good, interesting conversation. Yeah. So the same thing happens with each of us. We know things that everyone else don't doesn't know because we're masters of our field. So what I like to ask each guest is, if there was one thing that you knew was true that you wished everyone else knew, what would it be? And you could just tell me that by looking right into the camera and go ahead. We'll start so, with you. Yeah, please. So for me personally, and I, I can't stress this enough, especially to the even younger generations, younger than millennials that are coming up now, everything is a long-term play. So there is no such thing as fast money. Uh, there's no such thing as quick money or get rich quick scheme because that's what it is. It's just a scheme. And you need to be in it for the long term, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, whether it's uh, selling cars, uh, I don't care, dry cleaning, whatever it is, you need to be in the long term mindset. So that's what I would say. Love that. We yeah. love Could that. not be any more true. Reduces yeah. risk, almost guarantees that you're going to be wealthy in the future if yeah. you have that long term approach. Exactly. Danny, Definitely. go ahead, give us a shot. If I was to give one piece of advice, it would be to look to and trust the professionals in that field. If it's you're buying a house, go and find the right real estate broker. If you're getting a mortgage, go and find the right mortgage broker and trust that the advice that they're giving you is the professional advice that you need and you need to follow their steps and guidance because they live, breathe, and live that out every single day of their lives. So definitely do some research as well, but trust the professionals. Could great, not agree more. Great yeah. advice. And back to Matt's point, you know, kind of, we always love seeing like these guys like Timothy Sykes, nothing against them, but like stock traders or like, you know, Forex, get rich quick. And we see like crypto, crypto, yep. none of this really works long term, right? You might see one out of, you know, a thousand that make it big. And that's not indicative of everyone. So right. people think they can make quick money. So we actually on our show, sometimes we're a little bit boring because we take the conservative approach. Like, we predicted Bitcoin would crash and it wasn't really a, a smart prediction. It was just kind of like practical to right. say, you know, this is not going to last forever. Yeah. And uh, we love that, you know, you guys had those the same kind of vision as us. And uh, thanks for coming on our show. Yeah. Thanks, thanks so much for having us. It was actually a great discussion. Great. Like, really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. We'll yeah. be back hopefully. Thanks, yeah, yeah. We'll actually love we'll be back for part two. Yeah, yeah part yeah, two, two definitely. Love we love it. For Appreciate sure. it. Nice. Thank, Thank you. you. Again, this is What They Did Not Teach You in School. Until next time. tuning into this week's episode hope you enjoyed it be sure to follow us on instagram at the wise investor until next time this is what they did not teach you in school we hope to see you soon